Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of CMF Curo. Learn more at www.mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us will be Dr. Margarita Muni Suarez, talking about the mental health side effects of woke ideology and how to treat those side effects. And her prescription may surprise you. Uh, she's a professor at uh, Princeton Theological Seminary, and I ran across her literally at the Napa Institute, Napa, California, the end of July of this year. Andrew, do you think most of our listeners know what woke ideology is and why it's important? You know, I think so. Uh, the world we live in is a crazy place. And at this point, the, the term woke, which I, I was kind of uh, asleep to before or blissfully ignorant of a few years ago, is now a commonplace. Uh, for some people, it is a very good thing. For some people, it's a four-letter word, so to speak. And uh, regardless, it's probably affecting either yourself or someone you know and love. And on the front, I think woke is something that gets everybody's blood pressure up for one reason or another. But the thing that I had not considered until I heard about this speaker was that there are real mental health consequences and side effects to this worldview. And and that's what it is. It's a worldview. And on Dr. Doctor, we have a stated worldview. You know, it's the Catholic faith, the Catholic view of reality. That's our lens. That's our frame for everything. And through that frame, we're looking at anything related to the world of medicine and health. Well, wokeism, and I learned this from other speakers at the Napa Institute, particularly psychiatrist Aaron Cariotti, who's been on the show before, and uh, Chris Stefanik, who was actually a uh, keynote speaker at one of our CMA conferences uh, back in 2017 in Denver. So, and that frame interprets everything in terms of power, in terms of oppressed and oppressor. And, and according to woke ideology, everything can be interpreted that way. And if everything can be interpreted that way, it leads to some pretty heinous um, corollaries. Uh, kind of as a juxtaposition. A common Catholic framework would be when we see the human condition and everybody identifies struggle and pain and good and bad, but we have the ideal of Christ and the example he set us to strive for, kind of like St. Thomas and Aristotle talk about the forms. We all have an idea of a table in our head, and we could pick out tables out of a group of objects from that ideal. Uh, we have ideals of what truth and goodness and beauty are that we strive for. And the struggle is a struggle for us to grow and to become more like Christ so that hopefully, you know, throughout our life, we get closer to that ideal rather than further away. In a woke ideology, when you see the struggle, there's not a clear place to go. And it's not <laughs> one of growth towards Christ for sure. Right. In fact, one of the things that um, Dr. Aaron Cariotti mentioned is that we all have this intolerable burden we carry around called sin. In fact, when Chesterton was asked why he joined the Catholic Church, his simple answer was to get rid of my sins. Well, without baptism and confession, we really can't get rid of them. And so what uh, people who hold on to woke ideology are likely to do is look to blame other people for sin in their lives. It must be uh, society's fault. Also, another you know side effect or corollary or consequence is that if power is everything, there's no legitimate authority, and any good intentions can be misconstrued, except of course the people who adhere to woke ideology. That's that's one of kind of the the fundamental failures I would say of woke ideology is that there's not a clear objective truth. There's feelings of things that we're striving for, and to the extent that people agree on those, they can get behind activism, but there's no ideal of absolute truth that we can come together with 
when we disagree. Everything is based on what I think, what I feel, what my experience is. And that's called voluntarism, where the individual person's will is the ultimate authority and the ultimate good. It is good before because I willed it. And if I do what I want to do, that makes me a good and flourishing and ideal human being. And if if you are inhibiting me, you are in the power struggle and you're on the other side. And in fact, what Andrew just mentioned is related to a recent interview uh, that you may have heard with uh, Dr. Professor uh, Lawyer Carter Schneed on expressive individualism as being the underlying uh, worldview of all of our bioethical laws in the United States, how bioethics is done in the United States. So this is infecting a lot of society. And as these speakers at the Napa Institute mentioned, um, it's easy for this ideology to run, run rampant in any arena uh, within culture. And then it becomes, as some of the speakers said, a kind of a, a counterfeit uh, to you know a broader way of looking at reality. Yeah, it's, you know, I think Dr. Cariardi made the comment that it, it might be a cheap intellectual shortcut in place of doing the hard work of deep learning and getting confronted face-to-face with people who are well-intentioned to see the world differently than you do, and giving people the space and the breadth and assuming good intentions rather than assuming bad intentions, because that's no place to start from. Another unfortunate consequence is that there's no room for debate with, with this kind of ideology. And if we can't have discussions about trying to come together for what's best in a number of arenas within society, we're in, in a, a world of hurt. We're not going to be able to come together uh, as friends or colleagues, you know, working on the same side of the table against problems versus working against each other. And, you know, kind of the fruit of this tree are many of the things that people see and are frustrated with things like, you know, the term cancel culture. That if someone is on the other side, especially if you disagree with them, wherever you're coming from, the goal is to silence them and assume the power for yourself because you are right, because you're you and you get to decide what's right and wrong. And so when you have that, there's really no room for growth and there's no place to know where we're going. If we remove Christ and we remove the transcendentals and the ideals, there's nothing that we're actually shooting for. We're just struggling and fighting. And to the extent that people can get behind the struggle with no end game, that is part of the big problem with woke ideology. And uh, Chris Stefanik there had a simple uh, antidote or solution to it. Uh, I look forward to hearing uh, Margarita's. It's it's fascinating. She's done a lot of work with this uh, around the country and even in other other countries. But Chris Stefanik said, if we are confronted in our personal lives with woke ideology, the best response is our own joy because everybody wants joy and oftentimes if you're looking at everything through the lens of power your life is likely to be missing joy i think that's a, a good transition tom so we can get over to the interview and before we do i know you've prepared uh, an interesting i wondered how you were going to tie woke ideology you know this is a medical show this is a catholic medical <laughs> show this woke ideology is important because of the mental illness and everything we see in society. However, how are you going to get a medical trivia question about this is what I want to know. (laughs) This took me more time than putting the rest of the interview together, but it finally hit upon me. So the category is seeing clearly since an ideology is a a way of uh, interpreting reality. So a worldview is a lens through which we see and interpret the world around us. So our eyes also have lenses to help us see clearly. Ah. So when light passes through the lenses of our eyes, how does the image look if you could see it on the retina of someone else's eyes? In other words, if you could look through the pupil in their eye, what would the image that they're looking at look like? And it's a multiple choice. Would it be A, unchanged from what the person is viewing, B, upside down, C, switched left to right, or D, upside down and switched from left to right. Now, another way you can think about it is a pinhole camera, because our eyes act a little bit like a pinhole camera. So if you were look, you had a white shoebox, and on the inside of the shoebox, the light is coming through that pinhole, and you're looking at the back of that shoebox opposite the hole, is that image unchanged? Is it upside down? Is it switched left to right? 
or is it upside down and switched left to right? You can, uh, you know, work your noodle there over this. And at the end of the show, we'll be back with the answer here on Dr. Doctor. Welcome to the interview portion of this show when we will have Dr. Margarita Muni Suarez talking about the, the mental health effects of what's known as woke ideology and her incredibly prescient, incredibly wise way of healing from that. She is associate professor in the Department of Practical Theology at Princeton Theological Seminary. She teaches courses on philosophy of social science, Christianity, liberal arts, tradition, and aesthetics. She got her bachelor's degree in psychology at Yale, her master's and PhD in sociology at Princeton. Margarita, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank you. You know, Margarita, at the 2021 Napa Institute Conference where I met you, there were many speakers talking about woke ideology or wokeism and cancel culture. Can you help us understand, especially those of us that were born way before the beginning of this millennium, what is woke ideology and why the heck is it called woke? Well, let me tell you, I have reoriented my entire career in the last about eight years as a response to what I see happening in higher education and an alarming rise in mental illness among students, along with rise of an ideology that says that there is no such, a, that there is no such thing as truth that all knowledge is simply an instrument of power. I got interested in the relationship between mental illness amongst college students or youth in general and woke ideology when I was actually on the faculty at Yale and living in one of the residential colleges. My research at that time was a project on virtue ethics and human flourishing amongst young adults who had experienced some kind of trauma. I was doing a qualitative study that was essentially a follow-up of young adults who had been in a longitudinal study. And I flew to 10 different states, 26 communities, <laughs> and I interviewed all kinds of people who otherwise are just one more statistic of a traumatic life event. And I asked them questions about meaning and purpose. And what I discovered was something that statistics can perhaps point us in the direction of, but can't ever answer which is that when experiencing a traumatic life event, that could have been sexual abuse, it could have been death of a parent, people not only are dealing with the emotional fallout of that, it forces them to ask basic existential questions. Why am I alive to begin with? What is the purpose of my life? And for people who are suffering mental illness, especially chronic mental illness that lasts for years, they must face the question, what's the purpose of living if I can't overcome my suffering. Now, back on the campus at Yale, what I realized, because I started hosting student groups in my apartment, I lived in a dormitory with students. They call them residential colleges. And I was interested in helping students overcome adversity and grow to be the fullest that they could be. And what I discovered was students coming to my apartment and telling me that they struggled with social isolation. It was difficult to make eye contact. They didn't know how to experience emotional intimacy. And all of these things become indicators of mental health disorders. So I began to wonder, has something about our educational system failed our students? Because the mental health problems, of course, they've always been there. If you talk to people who take a biological view of mental health, the cause of the mental health rise must be nothing more than something in the biological environment. But I thought, you know, there's got to be more going on than simply we got the wrong thing flowing through our water. And that's why we see this mental health rise. But the human person as a Catholic, I believe, is mind, body, and soul. It's often difficult to get people to talk about mental illness in an integrated way, as the psychiatrist Erin Cariotti, who's a Catholic, has talked about, because people want to refer to purely biological explanations, or otherwise, sometimes they purely want to moralize mental illness, that it's nothing more than a sinful condition that's rooted actually in the will or turning away from God. But I think a Catholic understanding of mental illness, first of all, has to be integrated. It has to look at causality on multiple levels, biological, psychological, and spiritual. And it cannot presume that causality of mental illness is always biological to the spiritual and not the other way around. 
Certainly. Huh? So Margarita, here, as you, you're going on, that is a beautiful story. What is, I, I like definitions before I get too far. What is woke ideology? And, and you've obviously seen some effects of it. What, what is it in a nutshell? Woke ideology is a term that is now being applied to explain a view of truth that reduces knowledge to power and turns education into a tool for changing the world. And the, the philosophical roots of this ideology are what I'm critical of. I am not critical of social justice commitments. I myself have done work on immigration from Mexico. My first book was on Haiti. My written work has been on mental illness and addiction. I care about social justice. But woke ideology is a particular philosophical lens on social justice, which begins with contradiction, which begins with critical theory. Critical theory means that you analyze the world by finding a contradiction, by finding an opposition. So woke ideology is telling people that the basis of reality is contradiction, is conflict. And this is actually a contradiction of Catholic teaching that the basis of reality is love. Would, would that kind of take the place of, you know, as Catholics, we talk about the transcendentals and try and pursue truth, for example. If, is contradiction the starting point there rather than pursuing truth? We look, look for the contradiction, well, aha, we're onto something. Woke ideology, as I'm using it, rejects that there is metaphysical truth. Okay. The only truth is knowledge that can change the world. There's no a priori. There's no eternal substance that is the creator of the world. Woke ideology says you can transform anything after any idea you conceive of. That's a way of saying there's nothing given in nature. There's no fixed human nature. Here's where it gets confusing because woke ideology is telling young people that they can do anything they want, while it's also saying that biological reality isn't fixed. There's nothing fixed in nature. So it ends up becoming ideology precisely because it can't live up to its promises. And because it can't live up to its promises, it can't tolerate the search for truth. Uh, the search for truth- It sounds like it's its own itself. contradiction. Marguerite, it sounds like it is its own contradiction. I think it's its own contradiction because it fails on its own terms and it becomes an abstraction. This is, this sounds like a big word, right? But it becomes an abstraction. It becomes a statement that's supposed to be true. But when you try to apply it to live, all you do is generate more of the problem you're trying to get rid of, right? Contradiction, fighting contradiction. Guess what happens at the end? You find more contradictions. I was told, I was told this in an anti-racist training that the end of anti-racist training wasn't to, wasn't to solve racism. It was to discover more ways that you're racist at the end because you can never overcome it. That sounds like it would be pretty frustrating for somebody. You know, if you get if you get knee deep in this and you're trying to accomplish something, you know. And you get to the end of it and you're, you're really just supposed to keep going, I guess. I mean, one of the things with, with mental illness is, is it the chicken or the egg? What comes first, the mental illness or kind of this woke culture? Well, here's how I would look at this. We obviously have had mental illness throughout the history of mankind, right? I think what you could argue is changing is the rate at which people report mental illness. And it's undeniably gone up. Even before the pandemic, we saw already nearly a doubling of rates of depression amongst college students from 2007 to 2018, where 41% of college students reported depression in 2018. That's before the pandemic. Suicide attempts more than doubled just between 2013 and 2018. So clearly mental illness has been with us since the beginning of time, but it's clearly going up. So the question then becomes, what explains the dramatic rise? Now, during COVID, we've seen an even sharper rise, right? There's a 
report from the CDC that's been widely cited that during the month of June 2020, um, that we had seen 40% of U.S. adults reported struggling with either mental health or substance use. 11% of them, 11% contained in that 40% had considered suicide. And this was a this was a dramatic increase over just one year before. As you both know, as doctors, the manual for the, the names for psychiatric disorders keeps growing. We have a relatively new one to me, TSRD, right? And that's a general term for trauma stress. And symptoms of that are disinhibited social engagement disorder. I mean, can we just call that loneliness, maybe? <laughs> right? Yes. So this is now a medical condition, right? There's a psychologist who has pointed out, if you look at the items on the scale for depression, one of them is, I don't think the future has hope. Well, woke ideology tells you you're right. There is no hope. There's ah, no so it contributes to it. Right? It's telling you that there's no way out. If there's no way out and you're always going to discover more contradictions, then being hopeless is a perfectly rational conclusion. So, Margarita, what makes this kind of way of looking at the world attractive to college students? College students, like all human beings, inherently desire meaning and purpose. I think woke ideology becomes attractive because students really care about the causes of woke ideology, about racial discrimination, about, about poverty, about helping the homeless. We have hearts. But the problem is that woke ideology is, I think, not as good of an answer to homelessness and poverty and racial injustice as Catholic social teaching which upholds that we have to address the social causes of poverty as well as the moral causes, sin. Woke ideology tells us that there's good and bad people. Catholic social teaching tells us there's good and bad in each of us, right? The way forward in woke ideology is that you do get sort of a you get a contradiction and then you get a synthesis and you get a little bit of a break, but then you get another contradiction and there's no way out of this. Catholic social teaching tells us that we can, through grace, heal our sinfulness and grow towards an end and become better persons. And yes, we can build institutions and we can change policies, but those institutions and policies have to be run by people with a well-formed moral conscience. And that's where I think our education systems are failing. We're failing to form the moral dimension of the human person, and we're failing to develop the contemplative end of the human person. And we've ended up with almost a kind of narrow, scientific, cognitive understanding of education. We're just going to acquire skills or knowledge is power. And we're not giving students an integral, holistic experience of education that forms them as a person and prepares them to pursue their vocation in the world. You, you know, one of the things you mentioned was sin, and that's that's something that we mentioned in the first segment. How does sin fit into this, especially with the rise of, of what we see as the cancel culture is the term that they use? Is that a symptom of the woke disease? How should we understand that? What is sin? Sin is a turning away from God. Sin is a violation of the moral order, right? So the very notion of sin implies that we have a responsibility for our actions before God. And what I find that students are, what the opposite, so to speak, is, and we also, as Catholics, believe in a God who's capable of forgiving our sins. And there's a way towards reconciliation. And part of the reconciliation is acknowledging our sin. The difference in cancel culture is that there's no forgiveness. If you make a transgression, that's a sign that you belong to the category called bad people. Not that you're a person who has good and bad, but that 
your evident failing or so-called failing is a sign that you're inherently bad. So we students experience this all the time, these judgments on their dignity as a person from one action, which by the way, could be misinterpreted, but even if it's not misinterpreted, cancel culture means that your voice needs to be suppressed. There's no reconciliation. Christianity upholds the possibility of reconciliation for sin. Woke ideology does not. Could is it possible to be woke and Catholic? Ooh, good question. There are a lot of incredibly well-meaning people, Catholic, Christian, people of other faith, who have turned to the terms of woke ideology because it offers them a way to talk about injustice. What I would say is that I would invite those people to ask themselves whether or not woke ideology, what's what's the end you're seeking? For example, with the anti-racist training, the end of anti-racist training is to come to the conclusion that we need more anti-racist training so that we can do more of it. I mean, what's the end you're seeking, right? And if the and what I think is missing in woke ideology that any Catholic approach to justice should have is a focus on what's broken, but also a vision of the good. So to the extent that somebody embraces woke ideology that's inherently critical and tearing down and pointing out sinfulness, and they fail to posit a vision of the good, then I think they have failed to live out the reality of the incarnation and the faith of Christianity, which all of us is called to bring into our vocations. I have no problem with anybody who points out the brokenness of humanity. I have a problem when people who call themselves faithful Catholics and Christians get so fixated on brokenness that they forget about the death and suffering and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, people will say focusing on the resurrection and forgiveness means you're skipping over justice. And I would say, along with a theologian named Robert Schreiter, who's done work in post-conflict situations across the world, Christianity is not the only philosophy or religion that cares about justice. We share that concern with others. I share the concern about justice with people who espouse woke ideology. All I'm saying is that I also, as a Catholic, have got to believe in divine justice. And I've seen in my own work in Haiti, I have met people in Haiti who have forgiven others for violent crimes of rape because they believe Not that they don't believe in worldly justice. They seek worldly justice, but they also forgive because God has forgiven them. And they believe that in forgiving, they're bringing about change in the world. Because they're letting go of anger and they're letting go of resentment. And by letting go of anger and resentment, they're putting good into the world. So Margarita, to end this first half, because in the second half, we're going to go into the antidote, the response, the healing that you got in your program put together. Can you tie together for listeners, connect how this specifically leads to the increased depression and anxiety? Maybe a story, maybe something else to show that it's not just correlation, but that it is likely causation also. If we deprive young people of thinking about meaning and purpose as having an objective end and growing towards the ends to which we are created. And we tell them that there's no way out of this conflict. It's perfectly rational to give up hope and to embrace the reality that we should be angry and we should be hurting other people. So I'm not talking here about efficient causation of a clinical experiment in medicine. I'm talking here about formal causation. We're not giving students a form of a life to which they should aspire. That's good. That's integrated. Instead, we're giving them anger and resentment, not as an emotional state, but as a metaphysical state of what of reality, conflict. 
And that Not then re- the response is to give up. That lays it out very nicely for coming back to the second half and hearing what is a healthy response to this here on Dr. Doctor. And we're back with Dr. Doctor talking today to Dr. Margarita Mooney Suarez about woke etiology and mental health consequences. And we've kind of identified the problem. And if, for people who know me, I'm a Star Wars fan, namely the old Star Wars from the 70s and 80s. And the anger and resentment, I'm thinking of the dark side. How can we bring people from the dark side that wokeism offers back to the good side, to the light? What's the antidote? I'll tell you what I have done over the last eight years that has been so formative for my students, so life-giving, so joy-provoking, is to show them a model of education that integrates contemplation and appreciation of God's presence in the world, including in nature. I did this primarily, I, I call it leading with beauty. I did it first through a field trip. I hopped in a van and I drove a group of students to a Benedictine monastery called Regina Laudis. And I observed their reactions. And since then, I've confirmed what they told me. Their lives are devoid of silence. They're always, they always have noise. They're always distracted. And the rhythm of the Benedictine life really appealed to them. So silence, natural beauty, and a rhythm to life helps students to recover what I think should be our approach to reality, which is attentiveness. Rather than distraction, attentiveness reduces anxiety. And I witnessed that. So I began to run seminars that included experiences of prayer and contemplation alongside studying. And lo and behold, I more or less discovered the classical liberal arts Catholic tradition, which leads with beauty and worship and praise. And then our analytical, rational mind, although extremely important, isn't the only way we approach reality. We approach reality through storytelling, through imagination, through poetry, through music. And all of those forms of knowing in the classical tradition of the trivium and the quadrivium prepare us for other forms of knowing, for scientific experimentation, which I'm a fan of. Uh, for becoming a doctor, which I want good ones. So it's not an either or. And what I began to study and to read and to teach classes on was this integral kind of human formation in, in, in education that leads with beauty. Now, why, like, why beauty, right? Well, beauty, an experience of beauty, going to a monastery, seeing an amazing painting, listening to a, to, a, to a beautiful piece of music. Just imagine, I mean, you don't have to imagine to put yourself in the shoes of my students, right? They're on campuses that have protests and we have cancel culture and we have anger and resentment. And then they experience something really beautiful and it awakens their desire to know because what does beauty do? It reveals the splendor of the truth. And it inspires us to use our knowledge to acquire wisdom. Instead of beauty, we're serving up intellectual junk food. It sounds like wisdom might be an alternative to the power dynamic of knowledge. So it's not for the sake of power, right? No. And again, wisdom here is a word that means knowing how to use knowledge for right action. And there's an element of prudence here, which means you're going to learn from your mistakes, right? Prudence means you take an action and then you reflect on it to see if it was good or bad. So again, prudential wisdom, according to Aristotle, you know, Catholics didn't make this up, right? Prudential wisdom was the knowledge acquired by acting in the world and reflecting back on it. Whereas woke ideology has made it so high stakes to make any kind of a mistake, 
So how do so you Margarita, learn from experience? Can you give us an example from one of your students, you can anonymize it, uh, of how they changed after being exposed to some of your program? Let me tell you, I took students <laughs> on a trip to the UK and I had a couple of super high achieving women in that class, you know, 4.0s going into neuroscience and medicine. And one of them takes me aside and she says, I just want you to know that I have extreme social anxiety and I'm not sure I'll be able to participate in a free flowing seminar discussion. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? We're, that's all we're doing. But guess what happened? She never experienced anxiety because alongside our free flowing discussions, there was time for silence. There was time for prayer. We went for walks around the monastery. She made new friends and her anxiety never manifested. And that's what she and another student told me the same thing. And they were both Ivy League graduates going on for PhDs, high functioning women who were so accustomed to being at a high level of anxiety because you know what? Their faith had been ridiculed. They were minorities in their fields of study, and they had never experienced the kind of knowing that integrates scientific, rational, debating kinds of discussions with journeying together with other people towards a transcendent truth. And that integration freed them. How, how important is, is that friendship component? Because you mentioned that, and especially this idea of journeying. Can, can somebody recover from this without friends? Friendship is a fundamental part of human happiness, and it is an aspect where young adults today are struggling more than ever. We are not meant to be alone. Friendship is a place of trust. A lot of people don't know who they can trust. And without that trust, what happens? When you don't have trust or friendships, you might have interactions with people, but you begin to have your defense mechanisms on high alert. You feel insecure, right? So by the time somebody reaches a clinical doctor suffering from anxiety or depression or suicidal ideation, they've experienced a heightened level of insecurity. And one of our fundamental needs as human beings is for trust and security. And faith in Jesus can do a lot of this, but we're still, I hold, biological beings as well. We're not purely spiritual. Faith or being alone in nature can't replace the need for healthy social bonds that give us security and attachment. And we have so many people who don't know who they can trust. No wonder they experience defensive thinking, uncontrollable thoughts. Do you know how many Catholic women have come to me with both parents in the home, loving, teaching them the catechism, and their children are having panic attacks, uncontrollable thoughts. What's happened? Well, if you stay home from school and don't see your friends for a year, it's very hard to control your thoughts because you're not engaging with people and doing things. So we can't only have faith and family. We are meant to have faith, family, and friendships and schooling. So, Margarita, tell us about this program that you began called Scala. I started Scala because I wanted to revitalize American culture by restoring education to a classical liberal arts model that leads with beauty. For five years, I have done an intensive summer program training student leaders and future professors and teachers to understand the origins of the different models of education we've been talking about. The, my book, The Love of Learning, Seven Dialogues on the Liberal Arts, is dialogues with me and other professors who live this out. And it's a pedagogical tool that I want to get into the hands of parents and educators, doctors, anybody who cares about understanding the roots of our crisis in education and leading students through beauty to a fullness of knowledge and to growth in an integral way, mind, body, and soul. We're launching new programs through Scala where we hope to train young people of faith who are what we call culture creators, writers of fiction, painters, 
singers. The idea is that a truly flourishing culture needs people who create culture, who are connected to the best ideas and knowledge. How do you bring together what Maritain calls poetic knowledge, philosophical and theological reflection with creating beautiful objects in the world? Which, by the way, also requires knowing a lot of science. You know, art requires knowing, you know, proportionality um, and numbers. So Scala's vision is to reach people in this difficult time with a hopeful message. And by hopeful, I mean the supernatural virtue of hope, that we are creatures of God, that yes, we are fallen in sin, that yes, we have societal divisions, but that we can't come together in a pluralistic democratic society unless we begin with the beauty of the world and with worship of our creator to whom we are dependent and to whom we owe praise and thanks and with whom we can co-create things in the world, but starting from a place of seeing all of reality as a gift and that through God's grace, we can never take ourselves out of our social context, but we can transcend the divisions that are that are ailing us and see our brothers and sisters as people who are brothers and sisters in Christ with dignity. Professor, I think one of the things that's probably going through the mind of a lot of our listeners is that I have a sibling, I have a cousin, a grandchild who is is on the woke train and I don't like it. And how how do I help them? What can I do as a listener to help help someone I love? What I have seen is that when somebody is really on the woke train, maybe what you can do is invite them to a museum and look at a painting together. Maybe you can enjoy a movie. Maybe you can have a beautiful experience together. Our tendency is to often to want to argue with people on the woke train or try to get them to see that what they're saying maybe isn't logical and sometimes it's not. But what I've been doing and what I've seen that works is that if you share in an experience of beauty, it gives a kind of unity of desire that then breaks the politicization of everything. I mean, one of the problems with woke ideology is that everything becomes political. All knowledge, all human experience must be oriented towards fighting against something. If you, without using words, create a beautiful experience, share in the love of painting or a kind of music or in making a craft, going somewhere and reestablish a human connection that is disinterested in the sense where you're not trying to do anything other than share a beautiful experience. And that shared experience of a common humanity will stay with that person. And then maybe they will begin to see that there's some errors in their thinking. And then then they might have a conversation with you, or maybe if they're your family member, maybe not with you, maybe with somebody else, because it's hard to admit that you were wrong, but people will learn by experience that woke ideology doesn't work. And they're going to be looking for an alternative. That fits with what we've learned from other guests, that if we uh, work on trying to get them to accept our idea, we probably won't get anywhere. But if we work, if we're more concerned about our relationship with them, and like you said, doing something together, that that will go further. I think that's there's a great deal of wisdom in that approach. Look, what happens if you take woke ideology seriously, the cancel culture affects them. And I've heard this from students. I heard it from a student who was involved in some of the protests around racial discrimination at Yale. And when she questioned some of the tactics, she got kicked out. Not because she disagreed with the problem, she disagreed with the tactics. So cancel culture doesn't only happen between people on different sides of the political spectrum. People who agree on woke ideology cancel each other. And students are living in fear of being canceled. So being around somebody who is loving, virtuous, kind, we have to remember as Catholics that our virtues are something that human beings can sense and they can intuit. Sort of like with a child, right? A young child knows if you're loving or if you're threatening. They, they feel your emotions. 
And so we need to, in spite of this, this is hard. This is my resolution. My resolution to be working on is really the supernatural virtue of charity and loving people, even when I know what they're doing is hurtful, even hurtful to me, but looking at them with love, speaking to them with love, inviting them to participate in something beautiful with me. And this, this can be hard when you're feeling hurt, but what we don't want to do is fall into the cycle of reacting in anger and resentment towards people who treat us in a way that's in line with woke ideology. In my case, there's plenty of examples of that with students are having a hard time taking feedback on tests. I've talked about this with multiple professors. Students have a hard time taking feedback on tests and they become very defensive and can make accusations of unjust treatment when I'm just trying to give them feedback on their performance. And so learning to just slow down and be patient and understand that, and here's something else I've learned, people who ascribe woke ideology, who you know take it seriously and are upset, their emotions are real to them in that moment. They're really feeling the anger. And so it's possible to acknowledge the emotion without acknowledging that they're right. I understand you feel really upset right now. I understand how much this bothers you. And a lot of times what people, people of good faith who have fallen into woke ideology, they want an acknowledgement of their feeling. And this has been hard for me to do, but I'll tell you, it helps. That's good wisdom. Margaret, we have time for one more question. I think Andrew's gonna ask it. Well, just in, in thinking of other listeners, Someone who's who's stumbled onto this, who has found woke ideology very resonating with the goal of fixing problems that we all see, you you've struck a chord with them. How 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 do we get better as we're trying to overcome feelings that we've had like woke ideology? What what can I do to get better myself? I don't believe that there is a shortcut to integral human formation. But I'm happy to share with listeners some of the books that I think have helped me the most. I'll be honest, one that helped me with my anxiety disorders, which I think were produced by my overachieving self, you know, working for tenure in the academy. I read Conrad Barr's Healing and Feeling the Emotions. And I learned from that that part of my anxiety disorder was probably a neglect of beauty and nature in my own life. And when I began to do some of the practices of being in nature and being in beauty, I had less conflict with people in my life because I grew in the virtues of patience and forbearance. So I would say, begin to read the Catholic spiritual, moral, psychological tradition. If you need counseling, which I have sought in my life, there are wonderful counselors coming out of places like Divine Mercy University. And they have a fantastic book called A Catholic Christian Meta Model of the Person for Integrating Psychology and Mental Health Practice. That's more for professionals, but they're training counselors who can help you not just deal with your problems, but identify your vocation and help you with the tools that are going to help you grow in a sense of, of being an integrated human being. And so I think in some ways, although we're living through a crisis, a crisis points us back to the need for the millennia old wisdom of Catholic spirituality and psychology integrated with modern medicine and modern psychology. And there are subsets of in the Catholic Medical Association and at Divine Mercy University who are doing just that. And I thank you very much for what you do. Margarita, thank you so much for being with us on Dr. Doctor. You can learn more about our organization, www.scalafoundation, that's S-C-A-L-A foundation.org. God bless you. We'll be back with the end of the show after the break. And we're back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the trivia question. Tom, take it away. The category is seeing clearly. When light enters our eyes through the pupil and goes on the retina, if you looked at someone else's retina, what would you see done to that image? The answer was B. It would be upside down. 
but it would be no longer switched from left to right because you're looking at them the opposite way that they are looking at it. So the entire image is rotated 180 degrees inside the eyeball from the perspective of the person, but looking at the back of the retina, it would only be switched upside down. So, Andrew, incredible uh, interview with Margarita on the lens of woke ideology. What are your top three? I'd say number one, if you don't recognize that you have a worldview and it's not intentional, uh, reflect on it and get one if you don't have one. Because we all do by <laughs> default if you're not aware of yes. it. So you've got to have a meaning Very and purpose. Good. Number two, we see this increase in mental illness. Uh, Professor Margarita clearly stated and showed a demonstrable effect from woke etiology. I think it is a big problem. But point number three is there's good news. There's a cure. You lead with beauty and develop friendships that people can trust each other. And that's where we can overcome a lot of mental illness and hopefully lead people towards Christ. Yes, beauty often leads to goodness and truth, the other transcendentals. So thank you for listening and being with us on another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. We ask you to invite other people to listen to Dr. Doctor on their favorite podcast app. And please rate and review our show. You can find all of our old episodes on drdoctor.org and be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. And be sure to check out our website because we have bonus, helpful links there and information in our post for each episode. Just click latest at the top of the main page. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.